Hi, I'm Greg Leith. We're here in the Convene Studios where in a moment we're going to get to have some time with Chris McCluskey. Uh, he's a psychologist. He's the founder of Professional Christian Coaches Institute. They've trained more Christian coaches than anybody in the world. Joining Chris will be Paul Aubin, who's a Convene Chair, a Convene Coach, a Convene Consultant, and somebody who has a strong business background. Paul will take the concepts that Chris and I will talk about and walk them out in shoe leather for us. And we're going to be talking about how Christian leaders grow. It's something I've been doing a lot of thinking about because sometimes we think that uh, our individual study helps us grow. Well, it does, but it needs to be attached to things like coaching, assessments, mentoring, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and a peer group. So welcome. We're here to talk about how Christian leaders grow. Thanks for joining us. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys. Uh, Paul Aubin runs uh, a couple of Convene groups and is the vice president for marketing uh, for Convene and has had a long career uh, in business and selling. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris McCluskey, a psychotherapist uh, who works with clients in his prior life in a right. practice in <laughs> mm -hmm. Tampa and is now uh, the founder and president. Is that what we call you, president? Founder and president. Founder and president of uh, the PCCI, Professional Christian Coaching Institute, mm -hmm. uh, which is all over the world, training now over 4,000 Christian coaches. So I'm excited to be with you guys and talking about how Christian leaders grow. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, it kind of has its, its roots in conversations I've had with people where somebody might say, they're so excited they're in a peer group. And, and I can get excited about that because that's a good thing for convene. And then somebody might say, oh, boy, I've been studying my Bible all by myself. I've locked myself in a room, you know, parked myself on a desert island for a year, and I'm studying my Bible. Somebody else might say, hey, you know, I, I, I took the DISC test, and I'm, I've learned who I am. And somebody else might say, I'm, I've finally decided to be in a peer group. But it occurred to me that God wants us to be involved in all those modalities not just one, yes. that, that real adult learning has five elements. It has individual component, coach mentoring, assessments, the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and a peer group environment. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about that because, Paul, you live this out in shoe leather day by day with your group. Yes. And, yes. Uh, Chris, you can help us with the... Uh, the professional mm -hmm. aspects of this and the coaching aspects. So thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thrilled Good to be, to be here. here. Yeah. So, Chris, why don't you start us off with some of your thoughts on the subject of uh, how adults learn? Well, what I love is in tackling the topic that you're talking here, not really just theoretically. The reason I'm so excited about Convene is because having integrated the coaching element into the model of the rest of what Convene does, you've really created a very holistic or integrative approach to mm -hmm. leadership development. And that's what Convene's really all about, is developing Christian leaders in all of the senses in which they are called to lead. Mm -hmm. And I think you've identified rightly that, that breaking things down into any of those individual pieces, they're all important, but any of them in isolation or even two or three of them just kind of hodgepodge together don't give near the potential for transforming the person. Hmm. Not just teaching skills, not just giving new insights, ahas, all of that's growth, but the individual who can take all that material and have it integrated and it flows out of their whole being that's the Convene model. That's what coaching's all about, which, mm. as you know, is why I'm so excited about what Convene is doing with coaching. Yeah. And can we talk about that a little bit? Um, you and I have talked about this a lot. 
someone can still in the United States of America, Canada, the world can still say, I'm a coach, but have no formal training. Is, is that, why is that? That's right. I mean, coaching. You can't just hang your shingle out there and say, I are a coach. You can, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, and you're doing yeah, nothing illegal, yeah. nor even unethical or immoral. Right. But it is a problem because the word coaching is such a faddish term now. Mm. Everybody says, I'm a coach. It's the new word for consultant. Or mm. our discipleship program is now called our coaching program. Or our mentoring program yeah. is now called our coaching. So, yeah, any number of things that are people helping that have been done in other names are now being renamed coaching. Mm -hmm. So you get a term that is basically meaningless until mm -hmm. you clarify your term. So let's get that out there, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. When we're talking the way that Convene integrates coaching into your model of leadership growth, we're talking about a way of working in partnership with either an individual or with a group of people. When you're in coach mode, it is looking to draw out from the person things that are inside of them mm -hmm. that they may not be aware of or may not have full access to mm -hmm. until they hear it come out of their mouth. And mm -hmm. when they do, we call that facilitating a monologue. It's not a dialogue like we're doing here, talking mm -hmm. back and forth. When we are in coach mode, we are seeking not to pour into them, but to draw out from them through questions and clarifying reflection back to them the things that are in there that they don't have full access to. And when they hear it come out of their mouth, they say, I needed to hear myself say that. Hmm. That makes sense to me. I know where I'm to go with that. Well, where did it come from? In here. How did it come out? Through the coach drawing it out, mm -hmm. not pouring it in like a mentor yeah. or a discipler or a teacher. Anybody who is taking an outside-in approach, that's decidedly not mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. we're talking about. Let's. Uh, this is not the focus of what we want to talk about, but it is a pretty important uh, moment that you bring up here, which is this notion of uh, there are organizations out there that would say, Yes, we have coaches, but the coaches have no training. And I remember in the early days, Paul, of Convene, some of our chairs, as we call our leaders, would be going to a one-to-one -one coaching time, and they'd be nervous because they thought, what if I don't have the answer mm -hmm. to the question that somebody might ask about manufacturing, mm. about real estate, about agriculture, about IT? Oh, no, I don't know the answer. But because they're thinking coach means outside in. I've got what is, to give them the answer. Why is it important that we partnered with you to train our, our leaders? Because it's a complete paradigm shift, isn't it? When you really get that this is not about outside in, advisory, guidance, direction, insight... Those are all valuable. They're part of the model that Convene uses. But when you're in coach mode, you're not doing any of those. Mm -hmm. And every one of us is going to get to the end of our bag when we go, I got nothing else in there to nothing. give you right I now. Yeah, I got nothing from the outside to pour into you. But if I were to shift into a coach mode and seek to draw out from you, why all kinds of new vistas might open up for us. So you've trained over 4,000 people to be a coach in many, many, many programs that you have. Mm -hmm. But here we are sitting in the convene offices and you're saying peer groups are important, assessments are important, mm -hmm. uh, individual learning is important. An integrative Talk approach. Talk about why that is from a psychologist's perspective. Yeah, a lot of times when people look at just personal growth on any plane, in this capacity we're talking specifically about leaders, but any kind of human growth, we have our go-tos, our favorite things. I love to read. So you've got a you know a mm -hmm. library full of books that you read. I love workshops. Yeah, don't look at my books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody has their thing. I love to just cuddle up with my Bible and do my journaling. That's my thing, private retreat. 
All of those are good and important, and all of them in isolation are not going to be adequate because, again, we're looking to develop not just the mind or not just the skill set. We're looking to develop the person. There's a fancy word for that called ontology. Mm -hmm. Ontology is the study of being. Our personhood that we bring into every situation, when you're working ontologically, you're trying to work that whole person so that they can draw from any piece of self that a particular situation might require. Coaching, since it's not pouring in but is drawing out, is working ontologically all the time, mm -hmm. drawing from those assessment insights that you got. Mm -hmm. You know, you took such and such an assessment. What did that tell you about and what could you use in this situation? That book we were just discussing last week, the Bible study lesson, the conversation you had with your wife last week, all of those things can be brought to bear when you're in question mode as a coach because you're connecting, mm -hmm. you're integrating Mm. All of what the person really has may not realize they have mm. until the coach asks them. Mm. Well, I can, I can tell you that I was one of those outsiding coaches, and uh, I did get nervous. I had anxiety and fear and worry and all those things because I wasn't sure if I'd be able to carry the day uh, with their discussions. Well, you probably knew you couldn't carry it. I knew it. I couldn't. Every one of right? us knows. At a certain yeah. point, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but thank, thank you for introducing us to this uh, different way of doing it because... Uh, now, you just go into a coaching session and you don't really have to be prepared. The only thing you have to be prepared with is profound questions, right? If you ask the right questions, you'll take them down the path of self-discovery and they'll discover on their own and you, you know all the benefits to that. Exactly. But, well, but, your expertise yeah. is in a tremendous amount of self-awareness. How are you, Paul Aubin, showing up with this client in your being right. so that you aid them in hearing their being? Yeah. We, we emphasize that when you're in a pure coach mode, the coach is largely invisible. You're They're right. like a little disembodied voice in the ear of the person helping them. I go back to what we were saying about us dialoguing here, but you're helping the, the participant to facilitate a monologue, to mm -hmm. just do some self-discovery, self-exploration until they hit pay dirt. And boy, when they do, you can hear it. Their countenance changes. Mm -hmm. Their energy level goes up. They suddenly see all kinds of connections that they... We as the coach may not even know what in the world's going on for them. Right. But they're making connections, and that's what's important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think is um, we, we don't want to rag on coaching, and we don't want to rag on peer groups. <laughs> but it is true that someone can lie to their coach, and it is true that someone can be silent and quiet in a peer group. It is true that someone can lie on an assessment and say that, you know, I'm this, but mm -hmm. the 360 assessment would say, oh, your people don't say you're that. <laughs> so, but when we put the assessments, the 360, the individual uh, learning, the peer group environment, and the coaching environment together, you almost can't escape, right? Uh, Townsend and Cloud say in their book, How People Grow, uh, they say it's doubtful that anybody can actually grow apart from community. Yes. Right? Real learning happens over time. In community, is that? Would you agree? Yes. There's a there's an old saying that we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Mm -hmm. So if we are always about taking into ourselves from learning and assessments and readings and, and experiences and all, but there's not a community around us who can help us with that other perspective mm -hmm. and say, I don't think that's all that's going on here. Mm -hmm. And they can help draw us out mm -hmm. to see a bigger picture. Yeah. Everything. Ultimately, we were designed to be in relationship and everything else ultimately going to lead us to a lot more insight and truth mm -hmm. when we're in community. Do it mm -hmm. in isolation, you're going to wind up doing mm -hmm. some navel-gazing at a certain point. And that doesn't happen immediately. There's several stages of a group and of, of a team, the evolution of a team. Mm -hmm. And what you're trying to get to, as you both know, is to 
get to that place of vulnerability and transparency through trust and through connection in that group. So I know in my group, initially we didn't get there. We had some community going on, but there, it wasn't really... Um, fake community. It was fake community. <laughs> going, going through the motions, right? Right. And very well-intentioned, mm -hmm. knowing that it's valuable, showing right. up and doing the song and dance, but not really going right. very deep. So we went from a group of great ideas, phase one, where it's all about me, to the next phase, which is all about establishing best practices. It's about we. Mm -hmm. To the next stage, which was accountability, which is about us and performance, right? And then the last is high performance. So what, what I've found is as you go through that evolution of a team, that vulnerability and trust starts, and then you start getting real in the group as opposed to, you know, if you look at the tip of an iceberg, you're sticking, we're going below the waterline, mm -hmm. right? But that takes time. It takes it trust, right? Well, exactly. It's over that time you're developing trust, and until there's trust, as Lencioni and so many others write about, you really don't have what you need in order to get the kind of yeah. transformational change. You can get right. incremental change, but transformation, again, of the person or of the culture, the work team, the company, yeah, that's only going to happen when there's deep trust because you've had that growth process over time as a community. Yeah, Paul, you have some stories, some real-life stories mm. from the trenches that are kind of walked out in shoe leather of uh, these concepts of adult learning right. uh, with people that you work with. You want to share some of those? Yeah, actually, the, the first one I was thinking of, I actually called a couple of my uh, CEOs yesterday to see if they could reflect on their experience in the group. And I actually inherited this the CEO group that's been around for over 15 years. And one of the members I called, he's been with us for uh, 14 years at Convene, and he reflected back on a time actually before me, which I thought was a really good example. He was going through a mediation um, courtroom exercise. He was being sued by a contractor. And uh, what the chair decided to do, which I thought was brilliant, was to set up a mock trial hmm. at, the, at the forum meeting. Wow. And each member of the team so cool. played a different role. One person was the judge. Uh, there were Ooh. two attorneys. There were people... In the it's jury, the, the, the black robe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and what this gentleman told me was, uh, what came out of that was that they all um, agreed that this person was uh, getting too emotional. Their personality was coming through, and that would have really impacted the outcome of the trial mm -hmm. negatively. Mm -hmm. So they all coached him on just stick with the facts, right, and don't get emotional. So then from there, the coach had some really good, the chair at that time had really good material to go ahead and coach this gentleman on how is he going to present himself at the trial with what he has to say. And what the CEO told me last night was that they saved over $200,000 in a settlement as a result of really winning the settlement. And he couldn't have done it without uh, that group, peer group mm. setting, mm. doing the mock trial. So that's going, uh, you know, a step in. Yeah. That's a beautiful that's, example, and it really illustrates one of the points that I used to address even back when I was doing psychotherapy 25 years ago before I moved into the coaching world, and that is that there are things you can facilitate in a group mm. that you cannot facilitate. I don't care how skilled you are as a therapist or a coach, you can't facilitate those same things one-on-one. -on -one. There's place for one-on-one, -on -one, but the mm -hmm. way that Convene integrates in the coaching element to a community who start to get used to the value that maybe mm -hmm. they got last meeting 
And now they're realizing, oh, maybe I could kind of play that questioning role and clarify something. And they're yeah. helping each other out. If they all trust each other and mm-hmm. love each other and are invested in each other's best, then there are things that will happen in that community setting yeah. that just couldn't happen any other way, one-on-one or with a book or an assessment mm-hmm. or so some why, modality. So why, as a psychotherapist, why would you say, what's the reason that that's true? I mean, Convene had some of its roots in uh, tech vistage ideology, mm-hmm. which had, I think, two or three industrial psychologists who designed the, the fact that there was curriculum and coaching. So curriculum, coaching, and group. Why, does, why is group important? There might be somebody out there who you could talk to who would say, listen, I have a coach. I read a lot of books. Uh, so what do I need this group? I don't think I need a what group. What do I need a yeah. group for that sounds yeah. like... Well, it sounds like a waste of a day. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I will say I practice what I preach. Although I am founder and president of this institute and we train all of these people in coaching, I have a coach. I'm on my eighth coach. I've always had an individual coach who is working with me around aspects of whatever I'm going on in my life personally and professionally. And I'm part of a group. Mm. And that's because in a mastermind group, I facilitate mastermind groups, but I also am a paying member of a Mm -hmm. mastermind group that's very like the convene model because of the power of me being able to be there in a room full of others who have all of their differing backgrounds, but they know me because I've chosen to be known. Mm -hmm. I know them. And I may be speaking into their life or posing questions to them or whatever as part of my investment in in their growth in that group. And... 20 minutes later, they're turning around asking me questions or pouring into my life from that group, and they're seeing things that Chris McCluskey would not have seen. Mm. The group sees them, and everybody else is nodding their head, and I suddenly yeah, realized, uh, <laughs> yeah, again, I don't see the things the way they are. Mm-hmm. I see things the way I am. Mm-hmm. My group helps me to see more broadly the way things really are. They yeah. can be my eyes and ears. Or you may not want to. You may not want to recognize. There's this classic story in my life when we worked with the Center for Creative Leadership in Colorado Springs. Business Week said it was the number one leadership training program in the country. So mm. you were surrounded by psychotherapists and a group for a week, and there were all these great exercises. And <laughs> so all these psychologists and all these people in the group said to this one particular person, "You are whatever it was. You know, you are to this or to that." And so he was uh, arms folded, head down, crying on the table. He's just like, why didn't anybody ever tell me this? And it was really Mm -hmm. quite a moment. So he was distressed and and stressed. And that night he called his wife at home and said, honey, they told me da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And she said, and the the program was $12,000. And she said... I could have told you that for free, <laughs> but you weren't listening. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Like so, the group was able to say to this person what he actually wasn't listening to, right? Yeah. She she was saying you are whatever, but he wasn't listening. Yeah, and Chris, Greg, and I were talking about this yesterday. We were, we were talking about the fact that one on one coaching is very complementary with peer groups, right? Mm-hmm. This is what we're talking about now, mm-hmm. and I got to thinking, you know, my role as a coach is to take them down the path asking profound questions to identify opportunities and issues and then to be their cheerleader, encourage them, and then also be their accountability partner to get them the results. But with my, with my 40 years of experience in business, uh, that's still not enough because I, th- I was thinking about my group and with the 12 to 15 people I usually have around the table, that's, that represents over 400 years, not 40, mm-hmm. 
but 400. And to your point, it's a very diverse group with a lot of experience. And usually, usually two or three people are on the table that actually have specific um, experience and knowledge in that area. So mm -hmm. they almost become like an affinity group. That's they split good. off later on. So you're right. saying you would have to be 400 I, years yes. old <laughs> yes. to equal the group's experience. But you know, You'd I, be using a cane. But you know, I, I come from the pharmaceutical industry where I was uh, head of Botox marketing. So I'm Maybe actually... Maybe you are 400 I, years yes, old. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but, but my point is what, what I can do is help set the table with this person, with this CEO or key leader, bring them to the larger group, this 400 years of experience mm -hmm. around the table, they come out with an outcome, and then it comes back to me, and I help them stay accountable. And the step in between is, mm -hmm. oh, they go to work. Mm -hmm. And can they actually execute on what they were told and what the next steps were that were identified in the group? Usually not without a coach's help. Without a coach's because help. Because what right. happens the next day after the forum meeting? The tyranny of the urgent, mm -hmm. right? Somebody leaves. Somebody hasn't paid their bill something, whatever, the, all the pain points that CEOs go through, they get distracted from that direction from the group. So then they have their coaching appointment two, three weeks later, the coach comes back and says, how are we doing? How are we doing? Right, asks, right? right? Yeah, what have yeah. you done lately? Mm -hmm. Actually, what I try to do is a week or two after the forum meeting is text them a column and say, mm -hmm. how can I be of help to you? How, how, how is that mm -hmm. going, right? Mm -hmm. So it really is, Greg, you know, you and I talked about it yesterday, but uh, the coaching and the peer group is really complementary of each other. They both mm. uh, need each other to really get the outcomes that these, pe these people are looking for. <clears throat> I want to riff off of a point that you're making because the word that you used a moment ago was listening. When the, when the husband wasn't listening to the wife. I could have told you, know, you that you for free. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you weren't listening to me. <laughs> All of us don't listen very well. It's hard to listen well. And one of the key skills that we train coaches in, in addition to powerful questioning, is active listening. When you're in coach mode, you are doing a lot of listening with the client, even for the client, stopping mm. the client sometimes when they're when they're in mid-sentence and you're saying, did you hear what you just said? Right. And the answer is, no, they didn't hear what they just, they said it. They didn't hear the import of it until you as the coach caught it and said, say more about that. Right. What would that look like? How would that be different? You know, anybody else that's done that? How did they do it? What change do you think that affected? You just stay in those questions with them, actively helping them to listen to the insights their spouses have given them or the group is giving them or the workplace is giving them or the book that they read or the assessment. They've got the material. They aren't listening inwardly as well as they will when they're in conversation yeah. with their coach who's listening, again, kind of for and with them to help them access and then implement what is, in fact, in there. It's not that, oh, I need one more, what, degree? One more workshop? If only I... No, there's nothing more outside in. I need more ability to pull what's inside mm. out and use it more fully. Yeah. Mm. But the world, for the most part, thinks adult learning is sage on a stage at another conference. So let's hear Mr. or Mrs. Famous <laughs> give a talk and sell their latest book and the talk is 40 minutes long, and I paid whatever, $2,000 for the event, there was 1,000 people there, and I just learned something. And I mm -hmm. find that people take those notes, put them in the file folder called 2019 Conferences, and move on with their life. Mm -hmm. It's not real adult learning. Real learning happens over time in community. 
Yeah, you know. my, my father raised, raised we kids with a phrase that many have heard, and that is that the real learning of anything starts when you begin doing. Ooh. Yeah. So Ooh. You, thanks, Dad. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Way to you go. You mean I have to do something? Yeah, yeah. I got to implement. Ooh. I got to iterate. I got to. I got to try that and then get some feedback. Check with that. Listen and see. Did that get me the result? If not, what do I need to tweak? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about assessments for a little bit. Uh, I'm I'm happy to talk about assessments when there's someone who's a, a psychologist in the midst. But some people would say that's just the way I am, and they don't really understand who they are. Uh, Bonhoeffer wrote a poem, Who Am I, from prison, and realized he might not be that person that he thought he was, and who was he really in Christ. But talk about the value of assessments like the the DISC, or the Five Strengths, or the PXT, or I don't care what you do, Enneagram, it doesn't matter, but That's it's, right. it's sometimes good to look in the mirror and then hold the mirror up to God to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. If a person doesn't lie, you know, try to skew <laughs> their, their test, but actually is really trying to take any kind of a well-designed and tested, like empirically proven assessment, like a DISC or a Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. or the Strengths Finder inventories mm-hmm. or Enneagram or any of those others that, that can be helpful for mm-hmm. understanding self, what they're doing is on the scriptural principle that the gifts and the call of the Lord are irrevocable, to be irrevocable means he placed them within us and he's not going to take them back. That's us. That's in there. It does not say the gifts and the call of the Lord are going to be known to you automatically. Mm-hmm. You don't get a manual or a blueprint when you're born. You know, this is the way this kid's hardwired from the factory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The assessments help you in the self-discovery process if you'll use them and have someone help you to make sense of them. And then help you connect not just cognitively. Now, what does that mean? You're, you're this kind of person. But where do you see that play out? Oh, and when you brought that strength, what happened? What do you notice changing in a room? And in a, the, the, the question-based fleshing out of assessment results in the end increases a person's self-awareness. That's EQ, right? That's emotional yeah. intelligence. Do I know myself? Mm-hmm. There's things that are in there that are irrevocable. Am I aware of them? If I'm aware of them, do I use them intentionally, consciously? Probably not nearly to the degree that I could if I had some hard assessments to say, these are them, and I had somebody, i.e. a coach and a group, mm-hmm. help me to figure out, so what do they look like when you invest them? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And how could you do more of that? Mm-hmm. Then we become more the fullness of what we were created for. Yeah. yeah, I think the coach-mentor piece is part of stopping somebody from saying, well, that's just who I am, you better get used to it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just bombastic, or right. I'm just quiet. Deal with it. I just take a long time to make decisions, or I just whatever. Well, being the same is antithetical to Scripture, which says that we're supposed to be coming more and more and more like Christ in sanctification takes time. Yes, yes, yeah. There's no just to it at all. <laughs> right. I, I often think that it's interesting that, that God didn't set the deal up that when we accept Christ and become a new creature— that we become a totally new creature instantly and we run around perfect, right? Right. And since that's not how it happened, which would be very weird, all people who are Christ followers would be perfect. I think the world would be so mad. <laughs> but we're all in process of becoming more like Christ. So we therefore, by definition, can't say, that's just the way I am. I'm going to be that way for the next 40 years. Well, and again, I'll, ter- I'll circle this all the way back to the beauty of what I believe about the Convene model. And I'm not just blowing smoke on this. I really love what Convene is about because it is an holistic and integrative approach to self-development across the lifespan. So, I mean, just kind of 
reiterating each of those key pieces. The Holy Spirit is at work in all of those. But would we take any of the elements, assessments, for example, and say, oh, you really don't need those assessments. Mm-hmm. Goodness, no. Mm-hmm. Would we take, you know, Bible study? and, and No, we, we need that. We need the individual. We need the group process. We need to be out just doing and, and testing things and finding mm-hmm. out what works or not. But a holistic approach calls the individual to be always about a process of growth. We're never done. Mm. It, it's not a destination. It, it's just a journey, right? That we are always becoming more mm. of who we were created to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what, one of the members of my group went through, went through DISC, this entire, this entire company went through mm-hmm. DISC. And he said one of the big ahas was that uh, as they separated out the four different personality types, it suddenly struck him that he was only getting to 25% of the people effectively because he was pretty much saying, deal with me, this is who I am. This is me. Right? Right. But what we shared with him in that was you need to reframe for each personality type so you can expect to get different outcomes of that conversation. It's not one size fits all. Mm -hmm. And that was a real aha for him as well as the rest of his company, his leadership team. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's using himself differently now. Right. He is more self-aware and therefore choosing more consciously how to interact with Susie versus how to interact with Bill yeah. because he knows how they're wired and how they right. hear best and how they get motivated best and yeah. when he, things shut them down and all. So he shifts his way of being in interaction yeah. with them. When he talks to Bill, he talks in bullet points. If he talks in paragraphs or novels, he doesn't see Bill very long. Bill leaves the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when he talks to Susie... He's very careful not to talk bullet points. He talks paragraphs because mm-hmm. she's more mm-hmm. of an S, I believe, on the on the chart. Mm-hmm. You know, so and you uh, actually have a story of a of a member who uh, is kind of self taught, didn't have an opportunity or didn't want to attend university, and yes. they see convene as a place of intense learning. You right. Want to talk about that. Yes. Yeah. He's near and dear to my heart. This this gentleman. <laughs> And uh, he's actually my son-in-law. He was, he was in Convene before I was, and he introduced Convene to me, so I'm forever thankful for my son-in-law, as long as he takes care of my daughter. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but he um, didn't have the opportunity to go to college. He was uh, homeschooled, and he actually started a business. He was very entrepreneurial at an early age, at the age of 13, and now he's 31. He joined Convene at the age of 23, very young, and he's told me on and on and on, as well as the people in, there, in our group, that his bachelor's degree and his master's degree has been earned through the learning process of Convene and being in two Convene groups now and having a couple of different coaches. And he's just so grateful for that, genuinely grateful. And you know, you know him. I yep. do know. And, and what he is doing on the business front is amazing. And what he's doing on the personal front yes. is amazing. And yeah. why? Because he has had that many years of being in this integrative approach to self, he has far more self-awareness than the average 31-year-old would ever have because he chose to immerse himself in a setting that would call out those different parts of self and help him to become more aware of what he actually brings. Yeah, and I'm very proud of him. He's he's done well, but it's a great example of of group learning as well as one-on-one learning Mm -hmm. that he's Mm -hmm. experienced, Mm -hmm. just despite his father-in-law. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I, I want to, at the same time we're saying there's some really good things about Convene, I want to say that there's some great things about uh, the work that you've done teaching our chairs about how to be a better uh, coach. 
because um, our retention of members has actually gone up since our chairs have become better coaches. Mm -hmm. I think the days are gone when it's the, you know, coach modality that is kind of pat you on the back, send you into the game, hoorah. That's not really great coaching. So thanks for the work that you've done to teach our chairs how to be better coaches. It's been a great privilege. It's one of my biggest joys in doing the work that we are because it's multiplying the impact. When, mm-hmm. when, when we can train not only a coach, but coaches who then work with others who are overseeing companies mm-hmm. and in many ways changing our culture, changing the world, it's pretty exciting stuff to get to be part of. Yeah. You commented earlier that people will sometimes use a coach who isn't trained. The truth is a lot of times even they are using a coach who is trained, mm-hmm. but you have to go again back to the definition, the training. There's over 10,000 different training certifications. You can put your quarter in the bubble gum machine, turn the handle, and you're certified as a coach in mm-hmm. this, that, or the other. But I do think it's important that the, the coach training that we're doing with the convened chairs is based on the gold standard of the emerging field of professional grade coaching. That's the International Coach Federation. We are the largest Christian school that has all of our training approved by the ICF, the International Coach Federation. So we've got nearly 350 hours worth of training that we're providing to these chairs that meets the same standard that, for example, any Fortune 500 company. You look at recent studies now, about 40% of all Fortune 500 companies are saying, we use coaches with our executives and our work teams. Really? Are those ICF-trained coaches? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. So if on that Fortune 500 level, they're saying, oh, yeah, we use coaches, but we know what we mean by a trained coach. It's mm-hmm. an ICF trained. Then we're saying here within Convene, that's what our coaches are, except they're also Christians. They're mm-hmm. integrating in your Christian worldview, your mm-hmm. faith, your moral construct, and honoring that. But within that, then, we are using a true professional-grade coach approach, not just Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever the latest shiny piece of paper says. Oh, yeah, we're coaches, too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) At uh, Biola University, where I was for quite a while before Convene, there was the Rosemead School of Psychology that I'm Mm -hmm. sure you're familiar with. And they used to train and teach that the third person in the counseling room is the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's the psychotherapist, there's the the person who's the client, client, and then there's the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. And if the the Holy Spirit is our counselor, as Christ said he was, he's also our coach. He's there in our midst. Even if the client isn't a Christian, right? If we're a Christian who is trained in coaching, we're bringing the Holy Spirit there and inviting him to be at work and calling forth from that individual what Mm. needs to be spoken. And you know, the the PCCI approach has really had a trickle-down to our members and their companies. Uh, we had Cheryl Scanlon, you know, my coach, come in and do a, uh, a workshop at our retreat on leadership through coaching. And now all of the CEOs in my group have made the gradual transition from being high controlling to more empowering and asking more profound questions. And now when I coach them, they're almost evaluating me on the questions that I'm asking them and they're saying, oh, Paul, can I use this? And you know what, Paul, you might want to, want to rephrase that because what I learned in PCCI was... So it's really having a profound effect down the line, Absolutely. not just in the chairs. 
to, mm. to the members. Yeah. I love hearing that because yep. there you're, you're creating a coaching culture, a different way of being for yep. all of the employees, not just hierarchical top down. What does the, the boss say? Do we like that or not? Are we going to comply with it? Or are we going to kind of go yeah. through the motions? Instead, you've got much more of a team coming together in an exploratory discovery-based process of trust mm -hmm. that says there's probably all kinds of great ideas that could be pulled out here. Who's got them? Can right. we draw from the brain trust of everybody? Yep. Mm. It's That's it's good. a huge competitive edge. Yeah, it's it's a it's a change maker. It really mm -hmm. is. It's really making a big change, at least in my group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk. Uh, have us talk to the person who's out there who might be listening, who says, um, "Listen, I'm I'm frustrated that things don't sometimes go well." Uh, I think Townsend and Cloud like to call this spiritual poverty. The whole notion that um, Due to the fall, we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, things aren't perfect. Um, thanks, Adam and Eve, you kind of didn't get it exactly right, so things aren't good, right? Uh, Adam's curse is not the ground is cursed, but that, uh, or sorry, not that work is cursed, but that the ground is cursed, and thorns and thistles, meaning things that aren't good and aren't perfect are going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And so people out there that are executives are thinking, why did the guy quit? Why did they not accept my offer? Why did the bank pull my loan? Why is you know uh, the light not working? Why did the why did the million dollar piece of equipment not work the way I thought it would? Why did the China deal not happen? But that that um, sometimes means that a CEO might think in their own prowess they can self repair, and they're 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 upset that things aren't working and they can't get it right. But really, that's helping them get closer to God if they play the cards right. So would you speak to that person? It does provide opportunity for us to grow. It can sound trite, but the right response is, what does this make possible, right? Uh, <laughs> not why did this happen? I mean, we need to understand why mm -hmm. so we don't keep doing it. But why is not usually your best question to camp out on. Right. It, it's to move you in a direction of discovery so that you can say, what else might work? What could work better? Uh, what could we do differently here? Who who could help us in this, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, opening up that opportunity for, um, for discovery, what does this make possible? The truth is, as you said, yes, work is going to be hard, but it's also one of those things that Christ said, you know, in this life, you're going to have trials, but be a good chair. I have overcome the world. Uh -huh. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. My, you know, Jesus was a carpenter. He made yokes. I think he knew mm -hmm. that yokes are fitted to each of us. Mm -hmm. We have a yoke to pull, but it's light and easy, not because life's a cakewalk, but because it's built for us. Those same irrevocable gifts and talents and all, they're fitted for the work that we have. So embrace the challenge. Embrace mm -hmm. the frustrations, the disappointments. And don't stay too long in the why. Just mm -hmm. the what. What now? Mm -hmm. What else? What could be different? Mm. I lost a deal one time when I was uh, selling for Service Master. I was selling the, this particular university. And the deal was done and everything was a go, and they had a change at the top, new president, and I went into the vice president who I'd been working with, it was a big deal, and he said, the deal's off, and I said, oh my gosh, why is this happening? And he didn't mean to say this in kind of a, a hit-me kind of way, but this was in a theological way. He said, simple, it's none of your business. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, you, you don't mean it's none of my business, you mean... It's not my place to question God as to why this happened. Mm -hmm. He never said he would tell me why something didn't go well. 
it is due to the fall. There's weakness. There's things that don't work. There's thorns. There's thistles. And God might never tell me why. Mm-hmm. Ever. And that, that felt really good to me. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't have to figure this out. Yeah. Paul, do you have another real-life shoe leather example of a, a member that just revolves around any of these stories at all? Well, we, we haven't talked a whole lot about um, the holistic approach that we take, right? There's, there's opportunities as a coach to go there, to ask those questions. Because sometimes as coaches, we tend to focus on the business questions at hand mm-hmm. because they're all business leaders. But questions that I like to ask and a lot of my fellow uh, convened chairs and coaches like to ask are, how would your wife feel about this mm-hmm. decision? Right? How is that going to impact your parenting with your children? What about Susan, who's six years old? Do you really want to make that move across the country? Do you want to merge with that company? How is that going to impact your family? Uh, what about your health? I know you wanted to lose 20 pounds uh, over the next quarter or so. How is this going to impact that? You know, uh, what's the next step you want to take in your faith? Right? So all of those other components of, of our lives, we have an opportunity as a coach as well as as a group of uh, you know, community that we're in in these peer groups to ask those questions uh, in the group as well. So. Yeah. Well, those are good examples of coaching type questions because, uh, for one thing, they're not leading questions. You are raising a context that you, as their coach, are aware of that they have a child or that they have a spouse or that they're yeah. considering this yeah. situation. You're simply inviting them in the current conversation with you to step out of this and plug into another part of their life mm-hmm. and walk around in it for a while. Feel it. What What is yeah. that like? What What would they say? Yeah. How might that impact? What's going on here? So you're drawing their attention to something that will feel a little uncomfortable, yeah. but you're not goading or in, in, a, in a pushing or an accusatory or finger wagging way, right. you know, shaming. There's no, no leading implication here. You are simply listening with them to help them in that, again, facilitated monologue right. to explore, yeah, how would this affect the kids? Yeah. Or, well, what would she say? Or what in the world am I going to do if mm-hmm. I don't get this weight under control or whatever? You are helping them to remain more holistic, not to get myopic only on the business decision at hand, yeah. to see the bigger picture by inviting them to step out of it mm-hmm. and remember that life is lived in lots of different... Mm. I've got a shoe leather story, a real quick one on this. Sweet. Uh, real quick. Um, two years ago, there was a gentleman in my group who... Um, was very transparent with us about his marriage, uh, that it wasn't going real well. And the following month, he came back and he was celebrating uh, with everybody and high-fiving people in the room, I'll never forget it, uh, that he won this consulting contract in New York. And he had to go to New York for about six weeks to eight weeks for this consulting agreement. You know where this is going. I'm afraid of where this is yeah, going. <laughs> yeah. So I caught wind of that because my wife is a marriage coach and um, she kind of spills over on me a bit on some of this stuff and makes me aware of it. Uh, and then a couple of other folks in the room, my, my anchor noticed it. And so when check-in came around the table, we'll just call him Bob. Uh, he said, Bob, um, that's great that you got that uh, consulting agreement. And uh, I said, so... We're, we're a little, I'm a little confused. We're a little confused as a group. I was talking to a few folks here. Because last month you said your marriage wasn't going real well. Is this going to improve your marriage or is this going to make things maybe worse? How do you feel about that? And so we really put that on the table. Now our group has evolved 
to that accountability trust. phase, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We could trust. And he was floored and he got emotional. Yeah. And uh, we, the solution we came up with as a group was he doesn't need to go there for the full six to eight weeks all at once. He can perhaps go for a week at a time, come home on weekends or really condense that. And in the, in the end, uh, that's what we ended up doing with him. And he ended up agreeing to it was more of a hybrid approach where he was home more. And uh, so that was just an example of um, this group who, you know, they're a bunch of business leaders, but leaning into uh, the care and love that they had for this gentleman um, and just questioning him about uh, his decisions and how it was going to impact his, his marriage. Yeah. So, well, you used the word right there. That's love, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that's not a word that we use a lot yeah. of times in the marketplace, but that's no. in fact what's really happening there among yeah. Christian brothers and sisters, that there is a caring that goes beyond just helping you to make a good decision or make a little bit better on your bottom line. Yeah, It's loving the person enough in the context that you've established as their convened chair to give them an opportunity to really help call that person out to, hey, remember, we're all going to... It's all going to wrap up at some point, mm-hmm. and the only things that are really going to matter are the things that we mustn't lose sight of in the midst of chasing after our yeah. own. Mm. Yeah. It was a feel-good moment. Didn't feel so good how, to him initially, but... Yeah. How do you put a dollar value on that? Forgive me for waxing in a sales mindset, but that's really part of what this comes down to. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people could be listening and going, okay, yeah, I can see value in all that, but... And the very pregnant it's butt not becomes, free. it's not free. Yeah, yeah. Is, aren't there churches supposed to just do that? You know, right? right I've got to, right. I've got to commit some money in this. How would yeah. you put a monetary value on that alone? Yeah, uh, you can't. You can't. And I can tell you, the people that go through this never talk about the ROI because it's. It doesn't measure. Doesn't. In this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't at all. I mean, it does, but right. So much bigger. Yeah. Yeah, it does, but it doesn't. There's a particular mm-hmm. group that likes to say at the end of the year, what was the value financially of all this for you? And there is certainly a value, millions and millions and millions. And some groups, 10, 20, 30 million dollars, 40, 50 million dollars of value. But you can't value a saved marriage. You can't value a relationship with a kid. You can't value uh, a relationship with a partner that you parted ways that is still good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been a joy talking to you guys. It's been great, it's been fun. Uh, I can't think yeah. of a better couple of guys to be uh, able to talk about this. The, the, the real life side of things, Paul, with the work that you're doing as a coach and the psychological aspect of things with you, Chris, really that all leads to healthy leaders, uh, both professionally, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in all areas of life. That's how Christian leaders grow. So it's a a joy to talk to both of you. Thanks for coming in. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Great it's privilege. Been wonderful. Thanks.